Hey, Pathway family, welcome here. We got a new series we're starting today called New. Now, in this series, uh, what I really want to do is tackle some of the stuff that we know about our faith. And maybe it was new for us at one point, but it doesn't seem new for us anymore. And so I want to tackle that in a way that gives us life and helps us to kind of reorient ourselves back into the newness that comes within our Christian faith. It's kind of what I mean. I have here something from a company called Pat Photo. Uh, that I bought a number of years ago. I mean, I bought it uh, to, you know, kind of assist me in some of the camera work that I was wanting to do with my cell phone and that kind of thing. And I have to tell you, I was really excited about it. When I first got it, I uh, took it out of its package. I was trying to figure out every imaginable way that I could use it for different things. And all it does is just this grip that holds the phone and I can adjust this to wherever the lens may be, add filters, add... Uh, actually other lenses to it so that I can get better photos, better video. What I noticed over time was that my excitement for it, for the new thing that this thing was, waned. Wasn't as interested in it anymore. So I would package it up, put it away, and keep it somewhere where I could still see it. It's not that it didn't matter to me anymore. It just didn't hold the same value that it initially did. And so I would wrap it up. And I would toss it, not to use it really much anymore. And sometimes I think when we think of some of the key passages in our faith, we've heard them so often, we've internalized them to some degree so frequently that they don't hold the same level of meaning and excitement for us anymore. So I want to talk about that a little bit today. And specifically talking about this idea that in Christ, one of the new things that we gain is a new position in life. We get a new position. Uh, positionally, we are no longer people who you would say were dead in sin. We are now alive in Christ. And that's our position with God. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, that's the passage of scripture that we're going to be walking through for today. But if you have your Bibles with you, would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to read verse 4 and 5 for our reading for today. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. If you do not know where the book of Ephesians is in the beginning of your Bible, there's a table of contents. People worked really hard to put it there. Don't be ashamed to use it. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, here's what it says. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ or with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Now, you have heard this time and time again. You have heard this uh, probably from a young age, even to very recently. But I want us to internalize this because there's something about this truth that should never escape us because it directly speaks into the gospel's work in our lives and through our lives on a continual basis. So, having just read that, let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together. And I pray, Jesus, that as we're looking into your word, that our eyes would be open to see what it is you want us to see, that our ears are open to hear what you want us to hear, and that our hearts are open to receive from you that life-changing, life-giving message that you have for us today. In your holy and precious name I pray. Amen. So I actually believe that, uh, that there's two words in the Bible that are some, two, probably some of the most exciting words that you can come across in Scripture. And the words are, but God. 
But God are two of the most exciting words in the Bible. Here's what I mean. I got a list here of a few Bible verses that use the phrase, but God. So we go all the way back into the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent the wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Genesis 31, 42. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands, and last night he rebuked you, talking about uh, if God of my father, God of Abraham, uh, and fear of Isaac had not been with me, you surely would have been sent with me away, sent me away empty-handed. Um, we read more, First uh, Samuel twenty-three fourteen. David stayed in the desert strongholds in the hills of the desert of Ziphah. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. Uh, Psalm 49, verse 14 and 15. They are like sheep and are destined to die, but God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Every single time we see this passage, these words from God, the but God, there is this movement that it begins to speak about of God on our behalf. I love this. Because in our reading today, we say, but because of his great love for us, God, but God, because of his great love for us, who rich in mercy made us alive. So it's God acting in our lives. So looking at the passage today, I will tell you this, starting with verse 1 uh, and moving forward, there are some uncomfortable things in this passage. It causes us to question what it was like for us to be born into this world, and it makes it difficult for us to interact with because, it, again, there's just some uncomfortable questions that come with it. So let's take a look at this passage and, and, and what it is about our condition, uh, let's say the remedy to our condition, and, and then about some of the implications that we got coming forward in terms of what's happening with our passage. So if you're going to title something, if you're taking notes, the first thing I'm going to say is that we were dead in our sin. We were dead slaves. Verses 1 to 3 say this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions, and sins, in which you used to live when you follow the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We were by nature deserving of wrath. So what's the human, human condition here? Uh, Paul gives us this incredible picture of the human condition. And in that, he kind of divides it up into three ways. First, he says that humanity's dead. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions. We are all spiritually dead initially. And, and that's what verse 1 says. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And so we're, we're not in danger of death. We weren't half dead. Paul says we actually we're dead. And to quote John Piper, uh, we're in a morgue, not the doghouse. In the doghouse, we can whimper, say we're sorry, uh, throw ourselves at God's mercy. But what you can't do, what can't you do in the morgue? Or what can you do in the morgue, rather? Well, you can do nothing. This is a human condition. We are completely dead in our sins. And so Paul here is saying, actually what he's saying is that we're, we're not well, we're not, we're not even sick. We're dead. Every human has been affected in every area, area of life. And so that no part of the human person is unaffected by sin. So when you're born 
dead to, in sin, when, when our nature is deserving of wrath, then what we find is that every aspect of our being is flawed in some capacity. Every aspect. It impacts every area of our lives. And Paul says that this is the nature of our condition. We are not well. We're not sick. We are actually dead in our sins. And that is a place of helplessness. But if you think that that was just the end of it, you need to know that this passage, it goes further and it tells us that it actually gets worse than this. You may be wondering, well, how could it possibly get worse? Well, Paul says that we're not actually just dead. You know, the, the notion of dead is, is inanimate, right? But we're not inanimate in it. And so what we find is that not only is humanity dead in sin, but it's also enslaved by sin. Verse 2 and 3 say this, in which you used to live, so talking about the we're being dead in our transgressions and our sins, in which we used to live when we follow the ways of this world and the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, listen, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And so it's, it's, it's bad enough that we're spiritually dead, but the news gets worse. Humanity is enslaved by three forces over which we actually have no control. No control. For example, one of, the, one of the forces that we have no control over is that we have actually no control over the world. We can influence the world, but we have no control over the world. And Paul says in verse 2 that we are influenced far more than we think by society's attitudes and habits and preferences. I'll give you an example of what I mean. Uh, I got a haircut. That haircut that I got is influenced by looks that I see, that I appreciate, that I don't appreciate. I, how I'm dressed is based on the looks that I like and I don't like and all that kind of stuff. The way I speak to you is based on how I want to convey myself to you and, and convey the word to you. So there's this, um, these influences that I have. There's habits that we have. There's preferences that we have. We are products, by and large, of, of our culture, the, the fashion, newspapers, TV shows, and YouTube, and so on. Many of our culture's values are alien to God and to His standards. And so we see the rise of different kinds of teachings that might come out of our world that might sound good, look good, but may not actually be in fact good. So we have no control over the world and it influences us. We are enslaved to it to a degree. We're also sabotaged by the devil. It talks about the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. And it's even more important for us to realize because we often overestimate, or underestimate rather, the power of the spiritual world. Completely underestimated. We, we, in our Western society, we have a tendency to base everything on what we can see, touch, feel, um, interact with in a, in a very direct way. So we often underestimate, and to be honest with you, some people overestimate Saban's influence and probably... In our case, we probably ignore it maybe a little bit too much. Well, Satan's been defeated by Christ. We know that in the scriptures, but, but that doesn't mean that he's not still warring against us. He continues to do his work. And so the devil tries to sabotage us with lies that he gets us to believe about ourselves and about others and, and about the world around us. And so we, we don't actually have any control in terms of managing the work of the devil. Um, we have control over ourselves as we relate to the devil. And that's, that's interesting. Um, we don't get to change the devil's nature. We don't have that kind of control over him. There's another one that's 
our flesh. And Paul talks about this at length. Our flesh is something that constantly comes up in Paul's writings. Paul talks about the cravings of our sinful desire, the desires that we have that are coming from our thoughts and things. And so humanity, humanity isn't sick. It's dead. We need to understand that. It's not sick. It's dead. And it's not just dead. It's in bondage to the world, to the devil, to the flesh. And if you think it didn't get worse, well, guys, look, it does. There's another thing that goes on here. Paul also says not only that humanity is dead and enslaved, but it's also condemned. Verse 3, like the rest, we are by nature deserving of wrath. That's a language of condemnation. This is what we deserve, wrath. So we read this and we're like, you got to be kidding. God's wrath? Yeah, God's wrath. There's, God's wrath is, is, it's consistent. It's, it's holy and it, it takes great offense to sin. But it's controlled by him, and it's judicial. Paul says that by our very natures, we're deserving of the wrath of God. And so what he's trying to do is help us understand who we are positionally before the work of Christ in our lives. Now, this is incredibly bad news. It really is. This is the bad news. This isn't about um, a, a particularly bad segment about our population. This is about all of us. I mean, I know that we can look at this and say, yeah, yeah, you know what? I know some people, they clearly are deserving of God's wrath. But the reality is, is that apart from Christ, we are all deserving of God's wrath. So what's coming next in our study here are two of the greatest words that we talked about initially in the Bible, and that is the but God verses. Uh, Verse 4 to 7 say this, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in his mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Again, Two of the greatest words that you'll find in the Bible, but God. And they're especially great when you realize that God didn't have to do anything. Like, that's the deal here. Like, he was not mandated to do anything. He could have left us in our natural state. He could have left us dead. He could have left us enslaved. He could have left us condemned. But he elected not to. And so there's these two amazing words that come along. A Welsh preacher by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, he preached on these two words, and he actually said, this is a quote from him, uh, these two words, but God, in and of themselves, in a sense, contain the entire gospel. They tell us what God has done, how he has intervened in what would otherwise be a hopeless situation. And so it begs the question, okay, so what did God do? Well, he made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. And I want you to notice what's happened. When we were dead, it's not like we were in the middle of getting our lives back together. That's not what happens. When you're dead, you're dead. In verse 6, it also says that we've been raised up with Christ and seated with Him in heavenly places. And so what Paul is saying here is that we share in Christ's resurrection, His ascension, and in His reign. We were dead, enslaved, and condemned. But now, now we are, we're alive. We're free. And we're enthroned. 
It's like God says, look, this is this is how you are, but I'm going to just turn this table up over and you got something completely opposite. You're not dead. You're alive. You're not in bondage. You're not a slave. You are free. You are not condemned. You are enthroned. And there's something completely different than what we're born into and what we're born with. We have something new. It's a new position. Now, I want us to notice why God did it. And it's not because it's anything related to us. It wasn't prompted by our merits. It was entirely prompted by His own character. You know, it's not like we did anything to deserve it. We did not deserve God to change things, to flip the script. He did it because of who He is. And that's why we read about His love and mercy and grace, His kindness in this passage. We're saved entirely because of this undeserved favor from God, who responded to us in spite of our desperate condition. And so let me just wrap it up with a couple of thoughts. Two implications that I think are really important for us to walk with here. And the implications we're going to look at, we're going to find them in verses 8 and 10, 8 to 10, actually. And it's, we hold a new position from God. And these new, this new position from God that we get has implications. Verse 8 to 10 says this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So there's just there's two things as we close here. Paul says repeatedly in these last verses that we have what we have in Christ is by grace. If we have been made right God, with God, it's, it's not because of anything we've done. God did this. He initiated this. He made that first move. We, we read that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. This is His initiative, His proactive response to our deadness. He made us alive. And so Paul even says that the good works that we do as a believer are the result of the God's initiatives. That the things we do, the activity of our faith that we do in response to our relationship with Jesus, right? So you love Jesus, you surrender to Jesus, you accept his free gift of salvation. And as a result of that, there are these works that come along with it that we desire to do. Not to prove anything, not to gain anything with God, but in, it's, it's a love expression from us towards God. And, and this comes to us as God's initiative. And so we can't take credit for them. They are what God prepared in advance for us to do. This is what it says. The good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so whether it's our faith, whether it's the good works that we do, these are all things that are initiated by God. I mean, think about that for a second. We are born dead. We are born enslaved. We are born condemned. And God's mercy comes in and, and, and flips the script. We accept Jesus and no longer are we dead, we are alive. No longer are we enslaved to sin, but we are free. No longer are we a people that are condemned, but we are a people who are in fact enthroned, co-heirs with Christ, experiencing His glory. This is amazing. And so we respond to that and we say, yes, Lord, thank you. And then he's got good works for us to do that, that show our affection and our love for him. 
He applies this to us by saying that nobody can boast. No one else can take the credit. No one can do any boasting because this is something that God has done in our lives. Those of us who trust Christ don't have to pretend that we're better than we really are. Look, here's the deal. You've heard me say this before. I will say this till I am blue in the face. Are you ready? Here we go. As your pastor, I will fail you. As your pastor, know that I sin. I am not perfect. I am not Jesus. But I confess my sin. I repent of sin. I move closer and closer towards uh, trying to become more and more like Jesus. But let's not kid ourselves. I will fail you. And in the event that you were wondering in terms of where my headspace was at on this, just so you're clear, you're going to fail me too. Okay. None of us can boast about anything. Because none of us bring anything to the table. This is a work of God. This free gift of salvation comes from Him, is applied to us as we receive it and accept it. And then He's got these great works for us to do that, that glorify Him. And, 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 and as we do these things, that people see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven, like, think about the pattern of this. He completely flips everything. And He takes us from people who are dead, just like everything else in the world, and He makes us alive. And helps us to change it. This is amazing. So those of us who trust in Christ don't have to pretend that we're better than we are because we're not. We are a people who are saved because of the work of Christ in our lives, not because of anything we've done. We're not the perfect ones. He is. We just move in alignment closer and closer to being more like Him. And we can face the truth about ourselves because in our sin, we found God's grace, and that is more than enough. Look, here's the thing. This is why this is so important. We don't want to let the new position that we have in Christ ever become dull, ever become boring, ever become something that we just sit aside on our shelf. Because when we do, we lose sight of one of the very core things within our Christian walk that are central to who we are. We are a people who are saved from death, from slavery, from condemnment. We're made alive, we're made free, and we're enthroned. It's pivotal. Never lose sight of it. Ever. Because this is what he's done. He has flipped the script, and that should never get old for us. And one last thing. You see how we're saved by grace through faith. Even faith here is a gift from God. It's not anything that we can actually take credit for. It, it, like, what is faith? Well, simply put, it's, it's this idea of this belief, this trust. And if you believe what we talked about today, that we're naturally dead, that we're enslaved, that we're condemned, but God has acted through Christ to save us because of His grace and mercy, well, that's good. We, we got that belief. It is a heart response. It means that responding to his truth, casting yourself upon Christ and accepting his work on your behalf. And so this is awesome. I, I want us to have that belief, but I don't think it's enough there. I want us to do something with this. So here's what I want you to do today. I want you to spend some time uh, remembering that he's made you new. You have a new position in life. You were born dead, enslaved, condemned. You have been made alive, free, and enthroned. I want you to take some time and just evaluate that. And, and remember that the but God, right? So but God are 
exciting words that express God's activity on our behalf. Because whenever you see this but God, he, he does something on the other side of it. There's more verses here that, that we could talk about with that. 1 Corinthians 2.10, uh, No, I has seen nor ear heard the things which God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.6, I planted Apollos watered. Listen, but God gave the increase. And so anytime there's this but God part, there is this activity that God does on the other end of it. We were dead, but God made us alive. We were enslaved, but God made us free. We were condemned, but God made us enthroned. And God has a tendency to move things in opposite directions um, than, what we, than what we could have ever thought of. And it's amazing, and it's exciting. Very exciting. I love these but God statements. So, but God are exciting words that express his activity for us. So let's remember that. You are not your past. You aren't. You are secure in your present because God's done this activity in your life. And you are secure in your future because God will sustain his promise to us. You see what happens when our position changes? If you're not dead, you're alive. And when you're alive, there's, there's something different that takes place. There's movement. There's, you're adamant. You're not inanimate anymore. When you are enslaved, you're, you're bound. You're at the mercy of the things that enslave you. But in Christ, you're free. And yeah, we're called slaves to Christ. But I mean, think about that. We're slaves to our freedom. How cool is that? And we're not condemned. And I know so many of you out there, you live a life where you feel like you're condemned. And maybe you feel condemned by others, and maybe you feel condemned by yourself. And, and maybe from time to time you have felt condemned by God. But can I express the truth to you right here, right now? Um, God doesn't condemn you. He offers you salvation. When you receive it, you are no longer condemned. Look, and I won't mix words with you. If we ignore God's call in our life, if we say no to his free gift of salvation, then yeah, we've chosen condemnation. There's no question. We've chosen to live in death. We've chosen to live in bondage. And we've chosen condemnation. And we don't get to blame him for our choice. But when we choose him and we say, yes, Lord, I receive your gift. You are no longer dead. You are alive. You are no longer enslaved. You are free. You are no longer condemned. You are enthroned. That's a very different way to live. And so remember this then. As you contemplate what it means for this new position to actually be in your life and to think about it regularly. Remember that you are not your past. He has redeemed that. That you can be secure in your present. Know that right here, right now, you and God are good. You are not condemned. You are not, you know, he's not pushing you away. God doesn't push you away. He draws you near. Your present is secure. And know that your future is secure as well. That you don't have to worry about whether or not you're going to be in heaven, whether or not you are saved. If you are pursuing him uh, and following after that call that he's placed in your life, like you're, you genuinely received his gift of salvation. You're secure. And you don't have to worry. You're new. You're new. So as we carry on in this new series, I want us to really capture a reinvigorated sense of what it means for us to be new. You are new. Your position 
is one that moved from death to life, enslavement to freedom, condemnation to being enthroned. What an incredibly amazing place to be with God. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time here. And I pray, Lord, that as we consider this newness and as we consider that, that what we were is not what we are and, and, and that you hold us into something completely different, we're no longer dead. We are no longer enslaved. We are no longer condemned, but we are your sons and daughters. And, and Lord, would you impress this upon us as we move forward into this incredible truth that we would not take it lightly, but we would let it transform us. In your holy and precious name, I pray. Amen.